Russ, as soon as he downs his coffee, if you would lead us this morning. So just to rewind, since it's been a couple weeks, um, what we've seen in Acts chapter 2 so far, what are the last days in the New Testament? The last days. Yes, it is. Okay. And if we need verification of that, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says that God has spoken in these last days through his son. So the last days started with the first visit of Christ to earth. They will be wrapped up in fullness the second time he comes back. How is Pentecost a fulfillment of what Joel had said about the last days? A little louder, Karen? Right. On whom? You're right, but... Okay, so men and women, um, young and old, are included on this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the phenomena that was happening on Pentecost with the Holy Spirit coming down. Um, Peter interprets as the fulfillment of that prophecy from Joel chapter 2 and kind of kicking off this new era of the Holy Spirit indwelling all believers. Okay? So Peter went from talking about the Holy Spirit to talking about Jesus. And what was sort of a, the outline of what he had to say about Jesus? Kind of four highlight points. Okay, what did G- Peter say about Jesus' life? He was accredited. Is that right? Right. By whom? Uh, by God. How? Because of miracles. Okay, and they all knew that. So they. And then, what did he say about his death? What were the two causes of Jesus' death? Immediate and ultimate. Okay, so there's the immediate. What's the ultimate way? God's deliberate plan. God had a plan. All right, very good. We call that compatibilism, that God is sovereign, man is responsible. They work together. What do you say about his resurrection? It wasn't possible for Jesus to be held by it. Right, why not? 
right. And it's impossible for God to lie. So if Psalm 16 says, I will not allow my Holy One to suffer decay, and Jesus is the Holy One that David was talking about because he was a prophet, then it was impossible for that not to happen because God cannot lie. Okay, very good. And then what comes after the resurrection? Starts with an E. Exaltation. Christ ascended, is seated at the right hand of God, the highest place of authority and, and honor. And this is too obvious, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And who made Jesus Lord? God made him Lord already. So remember we talked about in some Christian circles, it's make Jesus Lord of your life or let Jesus be Lord of your life or be really nice if Jesus could be Lord of your life. It's like, no, he already is Lord. God made him Lord, and every knee will bow and acknowledge he's Lord one way or the other. So, so the Lordship of Christ is not optional. It's just settled by God himself. Okay? So then that got people's attention. So what does Peter tell the people who ask him, what shall we do? Okay, very good. Very good. And then what was the outcome of that invitation? Okay, good. So then what happened? What, what did 3,000 people do? Received and believed. Okay, so they received his word. So they embrace as truth the message about Jesus they had just heard from Peter. Those same 3,000 who believed and received were baptized as a public expression of their faith in Jesus. Faith is invisible. Baptism is the visible way of expressing that. And 3,000 were added to the church. So there's no, no unbaptized, unadded to the church Christians in the early church. Everybody who believes is baptized. Everybody who's baptized is added to the church. At least that's the original pattern. So any questions or comments on what we've seen in Acts Chapter 2 so far. Okay. Well, I'll start chapter, the, the, what we're going to cover today with a story about Billy Graham. Um, somebody was interviewing him and says, it seems like you're trying to set the church back 200 years. And he said, no, I want to set it back 2,000 years to the book of Acts. And this passage we're about to look at is probably part of the reason why he said that. Um, this sounds like just a very ideal church fellowship to be a part of. Uh, it's not going to be perfect as we keep going through Acts. There's, they're going to have problems and issues and sin just like churches do now because it was still sinners who were part of this church and that church. Um, but it still holds up this beautiful picture of what a church can be like. Uh, this brand new, fresh believers church with the filling of the Spirit. And so we're just going to start with 42 for now. Would somebody read verse 42? Okay, so what does the word devoted mean? 
committed is a great synonym. Yes. What else could we say? Tell us more about well, that. Well, like you're, you know, in the Old Testament, you were giving things that were given, devoted to God. Okay. So okay. Yeah, maybe the idea of dedicated yeah. is where, where you're going. Yeah, yeah. you dedicate a sacrifice to God, you dedicate to these four things. Um, maybe just you could say they were very serious about it, or they made it a very high priority. Um, all going on with the idea of devoted, committed, dedicated. Um, some of your versions have the word continually, um, and if you don't, that's okay because the word devoted kind of carries that weight anyway, but some versions add the word continually as well. What does that mean? Constantly. Go ahead, Ruth. Constantly. Yeah, constantly. That's a great word. Or ongoing, persistent, they stayed at it. You know, it's one thing to just sort of, I mean, think of New Year's resolutions, right? You have this push for a few days. Yeah, I'm going to hit the treadmill or whatever. It's like, you know, how long does that last? So that's not continually. That's just short-term burst. Okay, so they stayed at these four things. So what is the apostles' teaching? What Remind us, first of all, what... An apostle is, with a capital A kind of apostle. Okay, good. I like that you said called by Jesus, so they were specifically commissioned by Christ and speak with his full authority. So if an apostle says something, it's just as good as if Jesus Christ himself said it. All right? So apostles' teaching, remember, how does what's the very first verse of Acts 1 say about what Luke is? And how does that apply to the book of Acts? The Gospel of Luke was all that Jesus began to do and teach. teach. So if that's Luke, what is Acts? Continues to do and teach through his apostles as empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the teaching role was big in the ministry of Jesus, and it's going to continue to be big for all time. There's just all these texts about teaching in the New Testament. But starting with right here, um, Jesus um, is speaking through his apostles, which we now have the apostle witness through the New Testament. Okay, So we don't have... Peter to ask, but we have First and Second Peter, and the Gospel of Mark was informed by Peter. We don't have, and we have Matthew, and we have John, and you know Paul was an apostle. So we have their writings, which are authoritative, and so it's not just the red letters in your Bible. If you have a Bible that prints the words of Jesus in red, it's all of the Bible is authoritative because it's been commissioned by Christ. So why would it be important? for these early believers or any other believers 
to be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. To avoid heresies that might crop up? Oh, that's a certainly a good reason. What else? 3,000 of them just heard the message and accepted it only a short while ago. Yeah, yeah. they're brand new baby Christians, right? They don't know anything. So they need to be taught. Good. It's part of worship. In what way? Well, just like in the Sunday morning service, <coughs> we don't consider the, the preaching of the word a separate act of worship from the singing of God's word. So part of the apostles' teaching is an act of Okay, good, good. It's all connected, is what I mean. It is. Okay. What had Jesus told the apostles ten days before Pentecost? Well, no, that's not where we're going with that one, but good guess. Okay, Patrick? Make disciples. Make disciples. What's a disciple? A follower. A follower or a learner, right? So, same thing. Um, but remember, a disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. So, we're going out, making people who are going to commit themselves to Jesus, follow him, learn from him, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. Um, these followers, and what are we supposed to do with these followers? Teach them to observe all that I've Hey, we're going to baptize them. They already did that. And now we're going to teach them everything Jesus had to say. Not just with the goal of information, but application. That they'll observe or keep all that Jesus had to say. So teachings built right into the Great Commission that we don't just get a convert and we're done, but there's this public expression of uh, belief in Christ and then the ongoing discipleship or training or mentoring or whatever to help them become more and more like Christ. That make sense? So, and then again, just in the New Testament, just so many references to the importance of teaching and learning. So, so here's a question. Um, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but why are we sometimes less than continually devoted to the apostles' teaching? If the early church was continually devoted, would you say, okay, if that's a 10, if we're less than 10, why is that? Go ahead, Mark. Oh, okay. <laughs> you threw me at first. Okay, so follow-up question. Did the people in the first century church in Jerusalem have to eat and work and do that too? They all have full-time jobs? Yeah. Right. That's actually right in the Bible. So they had jobs. We have jobs. They had kids. Many of us have kids. Um. Was, was life like easier in the first century as far as like putting a meal together, for example? You didn't just go to Hy-Vee, grab something out of the meat counter, and nuke it. <laughs> you had to go raise cattle and then kill it and slaughter it and 
prepare it over a fire. And so mealtime is a big deal, right? That's just one meal. Okay, so they didn't have like just extra time on their hands because life was so simple. Life was more difficult on some of those basic kinds of things like food prep or washing. How about laundry? What'd you do? Went down to the river, right? <laughs> Beat it on rocks and hang it up to dry. You don't just throw it in the washer and then push whatever cycle on the dryer and you're done. So everything took longer, plus they had to work, but they were still continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. So how did they do it or why is it that what Mark just said is a hump for us? Okay, so they're just spending time opening the Bible. Apostles are going through the Old Testament, saying, showing everything that the Old Testament was pointing to to Christ because Jesus had already had that Bible study. He's commissioned them to teach everything he's taught. So he's teaching, they're teaching everything that we have now in the Gospels. He's going to have the Holy Spirit bring to remembrance everything else. And so everything in the New Testament, what we have now, is the kinds of things they're teaching then and is available to us. So... And this isn't like, let's all feel guilty, we are not continuing to vote. It's just like, how do we, it's what's stopping us, and then the next question is, how do we grow? So, Angela? Another to teach others, is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought I saw somebody over this way. Oh, go ahead. The response as they walk by the way, as you're you're living your life, God knows that we're busy and that we have to do all these things, but it's just keeping that in our mind as we're devoted to him as we're fulfilling our responsibilities as parents or Good, good. Yeah. Naomi just made reference to Deuteronomy six. Um, which is primarily oriented to our homes, which is a great place to start. Um, but it talks about these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. So it's got to start with your own heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So throughout the day, there's all these teachable moments to be at least teaching people in our family God's word. Uh, so that's an opportunity. So I for me personally, I haven't been on fire since I came to the faith. You know, I mean, my time in word and prayer, da, da, you know, it's not what it once was. So that could be my personal, personal life issues or whatever it may be, but I still there's a season for everybody's, uh, I don't know how God tends that fire or builds that fire or whatever it is, but obviously the more I'm with them, the more I want to be with them. I don't know, but I have a, I, my, my biblical um, perception and, and intake isn't what it used to be. Not, okay. not, not even close. Okay. So. so Brad made reference to seasons, and some we all have dry seasons, right? So um, what I would encourage all of us, including me, because I can have dry seasons too, is um, a couple verses that go together. First Peter 2, 2, remember we saw that last spring, as newborn babies... <laughs> Sincerely desire the milk of the word that you may grow. Okay, So 
Peter doesn't just say, read your Bible, because you're supposed to. He says, desire your Bible the way babies desire milk. Okay? And you say, well, I don't have that. I don't feel that. I'm busy. I got to go to work. I got to check my social media. I got stuff to do. And so here's Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies. So I, here's David who says all these glowing things about loving God's word and rejoicing God's word and delighting God's word. Ten each for those. And he says, you know, I don't feel like reading my Bible this morning, God. I'm more inclined to covetousness or gain. And so I need you to work in my heart to give me the want to that's stronger than the want to do something else. So I think that's the bottom line for all of us in being more devoted to the apostles' teaching, a.k.a. the Bible, (laughs) intake and input, is we need hearts that desire God's word. And if we have the desire, we'll figure out ways in busy schedules to make that happen. If we don't have the desire, anything we attempt is not going to last. Does that make sense? So, any other thoughts on how we can grow in being more like this early church believers of continually devoted to taking in the apostles' teaching? Any other thoughts on what that would look like for us? Brett? What do you think the role, so I, everything, obviously I think we all agree with what you just said about hearts. What, what do you think the role of discipline plays in our walk with that? So yes and amen, we need our hearts to be new, otherwise we won't even want to. But is there a place for, I should set up my schedule so that I have the time to read the word of God. And, and I, should, I should make efforts to do so even if I am a little tired or I need to drink a second cup of coffee before I... Absolutely. Yeah, you just answered your question. But yeah. so, let's say you go. Okay, I I know I'm not taking the Bible in as much as I could or should. Grant me the desire, and God starts giving you this hunger, like a newborn baby. Well, that hunger translates into okay. I look at my schedule. I got to be at work by eight o'clock. I need to get up and get dressed and shave and eat breakfast and whatever. So that takes me an hour. So that's 7 o'clock. And that's, like you said, maybe less sleep and more coffee, but maybe it means setting my alarm for 6 instead of 7 so I can build in, or even 6.30, you know, to build in that time before I go to work so that it happens. So the desire makes me, or, you know, compels me to do what I need to adjust in my schedule to make it happen. Um, desire by itself is just good intention. So it's like, yeah, pray, pray and set your alarm. <laughs> and don't hit snooze, right? It's, it's, you know, pray and keep your powder dry. I mean, it's just... If that's what it takes, I'd be happy to be part of that, yes. So any other thoughts on being continually devoted to the apostles' teaching? Brad? Yeah, I... Yeah, that's fine. But your mind is fresh in the morning. I've learned that myself. And by the time the day goes on, you've got all that going on in your in your life, um, mind, thought, whatever. By the time you get to the end, you have more excuses of not wanting to. Sure. 
and, and also the reality that some people are night, morning people, some people are night people. And, and so it's not like it, you're more spiritual if you get up and have your Bible reading in the morning. That's not how the Bible talks, so that wouldn't be fair to talk that way. If you're fresher and more alike, awake and alert at night before you go to bed, read your Bible at night. That's fine. God doesn't care. <laughs> Just get your Bible in. <laughs> And take opportunities to be part of teaching like Sunday school or a Bible study or a fellowship group or whatever it takes. So any other thoughts on devoted to the word? Gary. Adjust, that's a good word. Yeah, so just yesterday, Angela was doing some stuff in the kitchen, and she had the Bible on audio playing on her phone while she was doing dishes or canning or whatever she was doing. You know, so like Tess said, it's not only this counts, you know, at X time of day. It can be your earbuds or your phone or whatever it is. Just make sure you're getting God's word and taking, availing yourselves of opportunities to have it taught to you. So good stuff. Okay, so just wait till you retire till you get get the Bible. Okay, no. Sometimes your life gets busier. That's I've heard that. I've heard that. I have heard that. All right. Thank you, Ed. So, what do we usually? Okay, word association. Going to give you a hint. Starts with an F. What? Do we usually think of when we heard hear the word fellowship? Food. Food. Right? <laughs> F. Food. <laughs> but potluck is food. <laughs> yeah, the three Fs. So just last Sunday, less than 168 hours ago, I was at a church in Minnesota, had a big sign, six o'clock, food trucks and fellowship. There it is. Food trucks and fellowship, potlucks and fellowship, donuts and coffee and fellowship, right? So we closely associate that, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what does the word actually mean?
game, I'll be in the mix. So I guess God's there. Okay, I think you're on to something there, but the word itself simply means to have or share in common. And more specifically, and the word itself is used for John and Peter were partners in the fishing business. They had a business together in common. It's a word used throughout the New Testament for a number of things, but this idea of having or sharing something in common, especially what we have in common in Christ. Mutual caring, mutual encouragement, all the one another instruction in the New Testament is about this, we're in the same family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, um, and, and so that's what we have in common, and that's more important than all the things we don't have in common. Okay, Ethnicity or educational background or economic status, all that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is, if you have Christ and I have Christ, we have the most important thing in common together. Um, why would fellowship be worth being continually devoted to? In other words, is fellowship just optional or is it necessary? Well, Proverbs 27, 17 says it's iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I mean, it's not like you have to, but it's supposed to help us grow. Okay, that's a good one, Proverbs 27. So there, there's one I think that not necessarily has to, but just for your own soul's sake. Um, Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. So I'm going to read Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, so what's at stake in mutual encouragement or mutual exhortation? <laughs> right. Falling away. Falling away. Perseverance. A means God has ordained for the perseverance of the saints is mutual encouragement and exhortation. So Dr. Piper has a sermon called Eternal Security is a Community Project, which is a good way to summarize Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Or as somebody else said, and I don't have the footnote, if somebody can find this, please help me. Lone rangers are dead rangers. We are not meant to live the Christian life by ourselves. And... We are meant to live it in community, in fellowship with one another, encouraging and exhorting one another to stay in the faith. So, so that's beyond just optional at that point. That's soul at stake kind of stuff. And then, of course, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 is going to say it again. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the habit of somebody. Encourage one another day after day. Well, it's still called today. So... We're meant to be in fellowship with one another and encouraging each other. 
Why are we sometimes less than continually devoted to fellowship? Sorry? So you don't you don't feel comfortable with you don't feel comfortable with my hair? No, it is because there's a lot of difference in people, and you don't you know, and some people have comfort zone. It's like I like I got a lot going on. If I get somebody from my house, I would never stop talking because there's so much going on. So I don't know, it's just comfort zone. Okay. I mean, Paul. I mean, he was he didn't have a lot of buddies while he was getting you know persecuted for his faith. So not that it's. Any other thoughts on what makes it trickier to be continually devoted to fellowship? Right? I think logistically, which I love logistics. I think logistically it is harder to fellowship than it is to spend time in the work. I mean, when it comes to coordinating schedules with people and being together, um, it just seems like something that can very easily be missed just because if you have a demanding job or more children or whatever, it can just be logistically harder to do that. Okay. Not that that's right, but I think it's at least an obstacle. Sure. I think we also struggle with a very individualistic mentality, and even culturally. We're, we're, we are Lone Rangers culturally, I think, in America. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have that same sense of meeting community like you see even in other, in other cultures. Right. So some of you are old enough to remember the Marlboro Man, um, right? That's be that guy, tough, rugged individual. He's out there on his horse by himself. He don't need nobody. He's got it, and that's a cultural value that many other cultures of the world do not share. There's very much a solidarity in the community you're in, and it's um, more closely aligned to the Bible to see life that way, that we're together in whatever, uh, as a church or whatever. So, Any other thoughts on what makes it hard and then how can we grow in the area of being continually devoted to fellowship? I think there's an element of vulnerability that comes with fellowship. Okay, like what? And again, I mean, all these are the kinds of things we consciously or unconsciously think. But again, just think of the early church. They had spouses, they had kids, and they still were continually devoted to fellowship. So, so we don't have a free pass because of those kind of factors. 
Um, and I think we tend to be pretty easy on ourselves and go, well, yeah, the early church wasn't busy like us. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I think they were probably busier. And they still made a point of it. So maybe it's they were more convinced of the value than we are. I think that's what it might boil down to. Karen. Oh, I love the phrase enjoying each other because we're going to come to that in a few more verses. Thank you. Yes. We've lost that. Why do you think we lost that? Children's sports. Oh, 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 oh. How about them Huskers? <laughs> oh, there it is, sports. <laughs> yeah, that can be a factor. Well, there you go. So he had a win-win. He could defend himself, and he still got to go to church. So. What I'm trying to say is our kids are controlling us as far as when their activities are, and we don't say, no, we're not going to that on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We all give in, miss church, and go to their activities. When we, people need to get together and, hey, let's just do it on Saturday or evenings or whatever. I agree with her on that. I heard it said the arena that they just built Sunday mornings. That's the biggest church in Sioux City. Oh, isn't that ironic? I heard that said hmm. that's the biggest church in Sioux City, right there. They used to. We used to get together and let's say play softball. Mom, dad, and kids, and the whole bunch. When you grow up in a small town, that's how it would be. You know, you go in and socialize together. So unlikely that we're going to fix that part of our culture. Um, so let's be counteractive. That's the right word? But let's, you know, yeah, it's there. Let's acknowledge that. We might not be able to fix it, but at least in our own families, let's try to prioritize things um, in a better way, perhaps. Mike. Go back to your, uh, the last question about um, why And even short of, you know, persecution by death, just your family relationships can change drastically, coming to Christ even in America. 
And so the church family becomes your family uh, in a very real way. Um, and maybe you've experienced that depending on your background. But, um, you know, Jesus said, remember, um, he who has given up wife, children, um, I think mother, father, you know, everything for the sake of the kingdom will be rewarded with many times as much. So it's like, yeah, everything got a little awkward with my folks or my siblings. That's okay. I got well, you guys. <laughs> You know, you're my family now. So that's maybe a piece of it, the fellowship, that there's a tighter bond when it's like, yikes, it's us. <laughs> Everybody in the world's trying to not like us right here, and we've got to stick together because we're, we're family. Any other thoughts? I don't want to cut it off. Maybe I just want to tweak what Brad said a, a little bit, and that is the goal is not hate everything about your life. Like, we just, ah, oh, I hate, you know, oh, I hate being here. I hate, you know, that's not the mindset. It's in comparison to our love for Christ, some of things that used to look like they were important to us look like hate now. So it's, I don't hate my mom and dad now that I'm a Christian because they're part of my life and I hate them. Because of that verse, it's like, I'm going to make some choices that in their mind make exactly no sense. And it looks like I hate them and and their background and their values to follow Christ. doesn't mean I hate them. It just means it looks like hate to them to choose Christ over them. Um, so, So we're not just trying to be like hermits or monks and just, you know, sackcloth and ashes and just, I hate I hate this food I'm about to eat. I hate, I hate this. I hate that. I mean, just to be cautious not to go into a ditch. Well, yeah, I'm, I don't think you mean, yeah, I just wanted to clarify what could be taken wrong, that the Christian goal is not to hate life. Uh, Jesus came that we may not have life, and life more abundantly, so we're intended to enjoy life because it's a good gift from God. Okay, let's talk about the breaking of bread. What's that? And it could go two ways. So if, if you have a guess, one of your guesses is probably right. Okay, Lord's Supper or communion would, is my personal inclination to, to see it that way. It could also be just sharing meals in light of chapter 2, verse 46. Um, doesn't, I mean, that, it sounds most likely in that verse that's just talking about eating together. 
Um, and that could technically be Lord's Supper together too. Hard to know. But sharing meals certainly is bigger than just Lord's Supper. So I'm inclined to think Lord's Supper. Um, why would it be important to be continually devoted to the Lord's Supper? Very good, very good. And what does Paul say? As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're doing what? We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So the Lord's Supper is this ongoing until the Lord comes back. Reminder what Jesus' death accomplished for us. Um, And that's, of course, important to keep in front of us. And last but not least, they were continually devoted to prayer or the prayers. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 14. The group of 120 was continually devoted to prayer. Colossians 4.2 calls all Christians to be devoted to prayer. Why would that be important? Amen. Amen. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, and prayer is simply acknowledging that I am totally dependent on the Lord for everything. That's worth doing. Um, here's a tough one. Why are we sometimes less than continually devoted to prayer? I'm a, yeah. <laughs> Look at the clock. What are, some, what are some of the top reasons? I think it circles back around to the self-reliance. Oh. Okay, good. Any other thoughts? If you know you've committed a sin and have confessed, it's hard to come to God. Okay. It says that if I don't have words, I don't know the Bible verse, but if you don't have words to speak, your spirit moans and groans, and God hears, you know, so I just, you know, that's my prayer life is probably more that than sitting down and putting time aside. You know, I can meditate on problems I have or things and take a minute and I think about God and I meditate on it, you know. I mean, my prayer life isn't always structured like everybody thinks. It, you know, it doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be that way, you know. But uh, sometimes it's just throughout the day. <coughs> I'm meditating on pain and I'm thinking about Jesus and there you go. You know, I, it, yeah, it's just, just the way I am, I guess. So, I think prayer is probably a challenge for all of us, right? Me included. Um, the theme for the retreat this year is going to be on prayer. Uh, Dana Olson is going to be our speaker. He was in a prayer ministry for a number of years for our denomination or conference. Uh, So I highly encourage you, if you haven't signed up already, to uh, get to the retreat. Um, I think it'll be helpful. And I told uh, Dana, like right up front, maybe on the first night, acknowledge this is a a struggle for all of us. You know, because it is. It's, it's, I don't know why. I guess I do know why. I mean, self-reliance is probably the big one. Or sleepiness. Or, I mean, there's just a bunch of things that militate against continually devoted to prayer, let alone praying with others, which I think is probably more the focus in that verse. Um, and so the goal this morning, because I do need to wrap up, is the goal is not let's all hang our heads and feel guilty and ashamed that we're not continually devoted to these things the way we should be. All right? Okay? That is not the goal. The goal is just to say there's more to be experienced and enjoyed 
in the Christian life together than we are currently experiencing. And so let's ask God for more. Okay? Don't worry about, okay, this week you were terrible at Bible reading prayer, <laughs> didn't take the Lord's Supper, uh, or what else? Have any fellowship. Th- that's not the point. It's, I'm here now. I can enjoy some fellowship. We're going to hear the apostles' teaching. We're going to um, pray. Let's just enjoy more and more and, and seek to enjoy more and more. Okay? So that's the note we want to end on. And let's close in prayer. And Andrew, would you please lead us?